Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. It is wonderful to be with you today. As I'm recording this podcast, we are starting the Hebrew month of Cheshvan and getting back to the beginning of the Torah. And in that light, I was interested in a recent discovery at the height of the last Ice Age some 23,000 years ago, the Wall Street Journal reports. Generations of children and teenagers walked barefoot along a muddy lakefront in what is now New Mexico. And today, scientists have uncovered the fossilized tracks, amongst them the path of a mother following her young child. The footprints point to the presence of Homo sapiens very far south in this continent, much earlier than previously known. The images of the fossilized tracks have a captivating quality about them. What could life have been like crossing paths with mammoths or other extinct creatures? I've always been intrigued by distant worlds, such as the mysterious Neanderthal man that has disappeared. At the same time, as we consider the Torah story, these fossilized footsteps come to us from a human past that took place long before the Garden of Eden, or at least the traditional Jewish dating of Adam and Chava 5782 years ago. So fascinating as all of this is, as Jews, we have a problem. If Jewish tradition presents us with a young world, modern science reveals a human past that goes much beyond 6,000 years, not to mention the age of the universe itself. What do we make of that as Jews? Surely there are an array of modern voices that seek to reconcile Torah and science. But how do we discern between truth and apologetics? Should our goal be to reconcile the disciplines? Or is there something else that we should be striving for? A thorough treatment of science and Torah is obviously far beyond the scope of one limited podcast discussion. But that complexity notwithstanding, part of our journey as Jews is living in a modern world with both ancient Torah and modern scientific information. In today's Torah Journey episode, we are going to set the stage for our exploration of Torah wisdom. How do traditional Jews read the Torah? How does our reading of the Torah intersect or not with other forms of wisdom? And I come at these questions as a fellow Jew on a journey, and in that light, I'll share three Jewish sources that I recently came across that touch upon my approach to this issue. Let me share an observation from my life. Non-Jewish society develops ideas about religion, Judaism, and the Bible, We see these ideas around us in magazines, online, and they become so widespread and they impact us, even when they're not an accurate reflection of our tradition. Take something as basic as the very first sentence of the Torah. Everyone knows that, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Only, according to most Jewish scholars, this translation is not accurate. Like every other sentence in the Torah, our tradition scrutinizes and goes to extensive pains to render an accurate translation of the first verse of the Torah. Rashi explains that the words Bereshit bara is a contraction of two words that mean 
in the beginning of God's creation, rather than stating that God began creation by creating heaven and earth, the Torah posits that in the beginning of God's creation, the world was desolate and void. Now, at first glance, these remarks might seem like a dry commentary on Hebrew grammar. In fact, they are much more than that. Rashi's words are a revelation that the Jewish people have a Masorah, a learning tradition through which we discover the meaning of Torah. More specifically, at least in the opening verses of the Torah, the Torah is not embarking on a discussion of the order of creation, what came first, second, third, or fourth. As Rashi points out, the creation of waters preceded that of the arts or the land. So while many take the verses as a description of the order of creation steps, Rashi rejects that understanding. In truth, the whole thrust of Jewish learning is that we have a sophisticated discipline of Torah wisdom that needs to be understood on its own terms. What appears to many as a simplistic scientific explanation of the order of creation steps is, according to Rashi, something different entirely. There's more to the Torah than meets the eye. I'll share another example of this. Last week in Breshit, we read about the Garden of Eden. But what is Gan Eden? Is Eden a particular place that the first humans stepped out of 6,000 years ago? Where was the garden located? Somewhere in Mesopotamia? I recently came across a passage in Moshe Chaim Lutzato's 18th century work, the Das Tvunos, in which he discusses the nature of Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. And his purpose in this discussion is entirely unrelated to anthropology. For purely Kabbalistic purposes, Ramchala argues that Gan Eden was not a physical garden in the simple physical sense. Indeed, he says, the trees were trees and the fruit was fruit, but it was not trees and fruit in a simple physical sense that we know of, but rather a more ethereal expression of trees and fruit. Accordingly, there are not any geographical coordinates on a map that you can use to point to such a place. Now, in this passage, the Ramchal emphatically believes that Gan Eden is real and not merely a metaphor. However, it was a dimension of reality that is different and deeper than the tangible reality we experience every day in our lives. So this writing of the Ramchal is a second example, in addition to Rashi, of how our learning tradition presents that there is more than meets the eye in the Torah. Let me share a third and final example of where our tradition goes deeper than expected. In the second chapter of Breshis, verse 7, the Torah marks that God formed man dust of the earth, and God blew within man a living soul. Nishmas Chaim, living soul, is often taken to connote a soul or a spiritual dimension of man. However, the verse continues then by referring to man at first as a nefesh chaya. A nefesh chaya might be translated as a living creature, and it's the very same term that is used to denote the animals. So how do we resolve the difficulty of the verse stating on the one hand that the man had the breath of life, something that the animal world does not have, while man is also simultaneously called a nefesh chaya, a term used to denote an animal. 
Rav Ovadia ben Sforno was a 16th century Italian rabbi and commentary in the Torah. He lived, obviously, before the modern scientific discussion of evolution. And yet, in his commentary in Chumash, Sforno points to stages in the creation of man. Sforno posits that man was first created as a nefesh chaya. And in that state, Sforno remarks, this pre-man or early version of man, did not have the capacity for speech. He merely had the unrealized potential for the image of God. That image of God would ultimately find its expression in man becoming a being that can articulate his thoughts through words. And so the resolution of the verse is that at least at one stage, man was akin to an animal being. At that stage, he was called a nefeshchaya, and did not enjoy the capacity of speech. Only later on did man develop his potential as a creature in the image of God, according to the Sforno. What are we to make of this? I'm not trying to suggest that Sforno was specifically advancing what we know as the theory of evolution, as he lived long before Darwin. What I'm suggesting is that our tradition sees deeper layers within the Torah, Surely there are many attempts today to reconcile Torah and scientific ideas, be it evolution or the age of the universe. The challenge with this is that the Torah is its own independent thought system and its own independent wisdom that needs to be understood on its own terms. Having said that, as modern Jews, we can take an approach that is less ambitious, but simply realizes that the Torah is a deep system of wisdom that needs to be understood in its own terms. From Rashi to Ramchal to the Sforno, our sages saw layers of meaning and truth in the Torah that go far beneath the surface. And when we respect the Torah with all of its layers of wisdom, we realize that we're not merely reading some book of ancient science. Torah goes much deeper than that. And indeed, there are many apparent contradictions between science and Torah that dissipate rapidly when we take a deeper approach to our tradition. An approach that we can take is to appreciate that the Torah is a deep system of wisdom with its own ideas and axioms. The fact that modern science appears to contradict a simplistic view of Torah suggests that we ought to try and go deeper. Personally, I feel so fortunate in that light to have known and learned from so many people who have depth in both Torah and science, from my own Rosh Hashiva of Moshe Meiselman to a former Harvard University math professor and even one of my own former congregants, Morris Engelson, who is a devout Jew, a Holocaust survivor, as well as a renowned scientist. But if, as Rashi says, the verses of Genesis are not coming to teach us the order of creation. What are they coming to teach us? And if there are depths that we cannot plumb, what do we gain from the Torah? Rashi begins his commentary asking why it is that we even have the book of Brashis to begin with, as the first mitzvot only appear later on in Shemot, Exodus. The Ramban Nachmanides is bothered by that question. Of course we need Brashis, Genesis, he writes. Brashis is the lives of the Avos, the patriarchs who walked with God, what could be of greater relevance than learning from the lives of people who lived in their amuna, their belief in Hashem? The lives of the patriarchs and matriarchs are much more than history. They are a roadmap for our lives. Indeed, the Torah teaches us, Noach tzadik tamim Noach. 
Noah was a tzaddik in his generation, and he walked with God. The Torah is the word of Hashem that teaches us what it means to walk with Hashem. Torah, which translates as hurrah or instructions, is a guidebook for human living. Starting with God's first command to Adam and Chava concerning the Eitz Hadas, the tree of knowledge, the Torah focuses on what a God-centered life looks like. At the end of our Parsha, we find a stark example of what life looks like when people lose sight of that God-centered vision. The Torah states, The entire land was one language and of united words, and they said each one to his fellow, Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower, its head in the heavens, and make for ourselves a name, lest we be spread across the land. This generation was absorbed by the idea of society and making a name for themselves. And their emphasis was making a name for themselves, not the Almighty. The Midrash elaborates on how much they cared about society as opposed to individual people. The Midrash comments, If a person fell and died, the people of Babel wouldn't pay any attention to him or her. But if a brick fell, they would sit and cry and say, How are we going to replace it? This Midrashic reflection points to how twisted human values can become when the center of our lives is something other than God. Recently, I was listening to a podcast where Jordan Peterson was interviewing Yeonmi Park, who escaped from North Korea. Park described the wretched conditions of that society. People in North Korea suffer profoundly in a society where the leader of the government is literally made into a god and religion is abolished. Yet, as early on as the story of Migdal Bavel, the Torah was attuned to the reality that man lives to serve God not build monuments to his own name. What's more, the Torah is so deeply positive in its view of human beings. Yesterday, someone shared with me a TikTok video in which a young woman declared that all men are misogynist. Any woman in a relationship with a man, she claims in this wildly popular video, is in a relationship with an oppressor. Now, some sensitive souls might get angered by this kind of message. Personally, I feel terrible for people who are infected by this way of thinking. We see here an ugly view of man, a secular story of original sin. People who carry this negative view of people are at an extreme disadvantage in life. The Torah, though, insists throughout Genesis that while man does sin and has a yetzer hara, an evil inclination, fundamentally man is good, capable of walking with God, as Noah did as Avram did. We learn Sefer Bracious, the book of Genesis, because the underlying message is that man is good and we have a path to know Hashem. And we live in a world that's incredibly rich, deep, and even mysterious, where we can ponder the footsteps of our distant human past. There are also depths of the Torah that we cannot fully understand. We might not be able to really grasp that dimension called Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, in our lifetime. But there's so much that we can grasp because, after all, the Torah is a book of Horah, a guidebook for human living. Every sentence of the Torah contains insight for our lives. If a simplistic approach to Torah frustrates us modern people, especially with regards to science, A humble approach of seeking out the deeper layers of Torah invigorates us. That is our inheritance as Jews. 
What more could we ask for? I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast. <laughs>